0: Welcome folks! We are going to continue our journey into the attributes of God as revealed through scripture. We're going to focus on two, two that are closely related to each other yet distinct. Of course I'm speaking of the grace and the mercy of God. I'm Pastor Will Hunsaker and you are listening to Brand of Man, building one disciple at a time for the cause of Christ not through the agencies of man but by the grace of god let us pray almighty god infinite in grace and mercy we praise your name we give thanks for all your blessings and petition you holy father to hear our prayer We ask that you enrich our mind and move us forward through your Holy Spirit with the ability to hear and see the divine revelations of your ways. Amen. To begin, let's remember, Scripture identifies God as a limitless being. As a result, any revelation of himself or any action he takes is not bound by any limitation. So the way in which God pours out his grace and his mercy is done without any restriction. This is significant knowledge that we can bring to create the backdrop for this message. First of all, let's, let's assign some simple biblical definitions to these two attributes. God's grace. Now, this is focused on giving of something something beneficial and without any conditions attached. This is often referred to as unmerited favor. Essentially, the grace of God is, is receiving blessings when none were earned or deserved and is a product of his kindness, his goodness. It is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians that we, we come by this biblical definition of God's grace. Paul writes, and this is a a very well-known verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, God's grace. Now, God's mercy is similar, yet a little different. As it focuses not on the giving of something, but on the withholding of something, such as God's judgment. So, where grace is receiving something undeserved, mercy is not receiving something which is deserved. The biblical understanding here, of course, is God withholding punishment for sin, He shows His mercy. Psalm 79 supports this definition of God's mercy with a prayer for his help. The psalmist states this, Do not hold us responsible for the guilty deeds of our forefathers. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we have become very low. Help us, God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And save us and forgive us our sins for the sake of your name. Psalm 79 verses 8 and 9. So there you have a a couple basic biblical definitions of these two attributes of God, his grace and his mercy. Both of these attributes are of course limitless, and both are voluntary, which is a significant point to make here, because nothing compels God to provide his grace or his mercy. He does so at his own pleasure, and through his infinite goodness. Now, how about we drill down a little further on each of these attributes? Let's, let's take our message below the surface. So as to God's grace, the Bible actually refers to two types, common grace and special grace. And not by name, but by implication. They both are implied, When I use the term common grace, I I use it to imply that God's grace is provided to both believers and unbelievers alike. In other words, it, it is common to all of creation. A typical example of this would be sunlight. God provides this to mankind as a necessary component of life, and he does so without any condition. So the common grace provided by God is received by all regardless of whether you believe or not believe. Jesus provides an illustration of God's common grace during his Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew. By the way, this is by far the greatest evangelical sermon ever given. Jesus does so during his teaching on how to love both your neighbor and your enemies. Here's a portion of, of his teaching. He says, For he he being God, causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, let me read that to you again. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. So this illustration Jesus provided of God's common grace shows how all of mankind benefits from receiving it without condition. Looking further into the illustration provided by Jesus, we see that God's common grace, we see through this common grace, that God is the first cause of all things. Jesus states, "...for he causes his Son..." to rise on the evil and the good. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. God is the first cause. We also read that God is the sustainer of all things. That Jesus emphasized, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Send it on both. The rain, of course, is a life-sustaining element provided by God. Looking at contemporary times, one would have to notice that achievements in modern medicine alone have extended the average life expectancy of humans. This blessing is received equally by believers and unbelievers alike. God's common grace. However, common grace does not only show up in physical provisions. It also shows up in the character of man, or what we would call morality. Through God's common grace, he he restrains mankind from absolute depravity. In other words, we're, we're not as corrupt on the whole as we could be. From the time of the fall, man actually inherited a sinful nature, That has infiltrated every aspect of our existence. But God, through common grace, has restrained us from all out ruin through the conscience of man. Now, in my personal opinion, one of the best scriptural examples of this, and there are many, is found in Genesis chapter 20. Here we read of a king by the name of Abimelech. And for the lack of a better term, he abducts a woman called Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Now, I would encourage you to read these events, but what you will find in Genesis chapter 20 is God's common grace working in the consciousness of Abimelech as to prevent the defiling of Sarah prior to her return to Abraham. You know, even though we see great displays of God's common grace through physical and moral provisions, there really is no greater display of this blessing than in a spiritual provision through the gospel of God. Jesus himself spoke on this very matter. He says this, he says, this is from the book of Matthew. He says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world As a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. The words of Christ. The gospel goes out to the whole world and to all nations. Common grace. But we know that not all will accept this blessing of common grace. Not all will accept the gospel. Jesus emphasizes this point as well in his well-known parable of the sower of seeds. Here's a portion of that parable from Luke. Jesus says, and those beside the road are the ones who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Luke chapter 8, 12. I would encourage you to read the entire parable. So not all that hear the gospel will accept it, which brings me to the second type of God's grace, his special grace. So special grace, simply put, is the blessing God has provided to those he has chosen to eternal life through his son. Interestingly, though, This special grace comes through the common grace of the gospel. In other words, the only way, and I emphasize the only way, anyone can respond favorably to the gospel is if God provides them with the ability to do so through his special grace. Now, there are many, many biblical passages supporting the special grace of God. But none better, and I mean none better, than from Jesus himself found in gospel according to John. This is a very definitive statement from Jesus. He says this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. No one. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John chapter 6, verse 44. It doesn't get more specific than that. Now, the timing and the method of God's calling through special grace will remain a mystery. We just do not know who will be called, when, or how. But we do know that the call through his special grace is the only way to salvation. This eternal special call, it is absolute. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, verse 8. We are saved by unmerited favor, from God period for me this is very comforting because if you left that action up to me I would mess it up now it is here right at this point that I must address a very specific element of God's special grace his eternal internal calling it is irresistible irresistible Now, I would caution you here not to let the term irresistible put you in conflict with free will. The Bible is very specific about the free will of man. Man is free to choose whatever they desire to choose and free to do whatever they desire to do. The problem man has is not in the choosing. It is in the desire As a result, the free will of man will never alter or cancel out the will of God, as God is sovereign. So, when special grace is given, the person can and oftentimes will resist it. However, God, in his sovereign power, will overcome all resistance at a point of his choosing. The Apostle Paul provides a a portrait. Of irresistible grace in an outline of salvation in his letter to the Romans. Paul writes this He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8 verses 29 and 30. I would encourage you to read that entire passage for context and you will see God's special grace. The writing from Paul here is clear. All who receive God's special grace will be saved. The special grace of God cannot be resisted in the end. His will be done. Now to God's mercy. So I stated earlier that God's mercy is similar to God's grace, but a little different. God's grace is the focus on receiving something beneficial, not deserved. God's mercy is focused on withholding something that is not beneficial, which is deserved. A good illustration of mercy can be seen in a, in a courtroom scene. So you have a person who commits a crime and is found to be guilty beyond any doubt. Now, in the case of mankind, we're talking about an enormous amount of crimes, crimes we call sins, and we are guilty. So the verdict is guilty. The judge is about to pronounce sentence. He's about to apply a penalty for the crime. But in his loving kindness, he shows mercy. And he does so by withholding part of, if not all, of the penalty. This is God's mercy. God's mercy is a core aspect of the Old Testament teaching. The Old Testament is literally soaked, saturated in the mercy of God. Israel is the shining example of God's mercy in the Old Testament as they are constantly in opposition to God's will. From the moment they entered a covenant with God to this day, they have been under a continual state of God's rescue, restoration, and redemption through His mercies. The very lid, now I mean the very lid, the gold slab that sat atop the Ark of the Covenant, which held the Ten Commandments God gave to Israel, and was housed in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle, is actually called the mercy seat. It is the very place where each year the entire nation of Israel gathers to seek God's mercy on the Day of Atonement. The prophet Isaiah spoke with very deep and enduring emotion on the mercies of God. He said this, I will make mention of the mercies of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his mercies. Isaiah 63, verse seven. Now, of course, The mercy of God has no greater example than through the work of Christ. From Paul's letter to Titus, he writes this. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Titus chapter three, verses five and six. It's hard to find, you can't find, a better example of God's mercy than the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ illustrates in the most absolute of terms the divine, loving kindness of God and his infinite show of mercy in the forgiveness of sin. My dear friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, the grace and mercy of God are glowing attributes of his nature and testimonies of his goodness Through God's grace, we are provided the knowledge that nothing positive comes to us without him first giving it. God is the first cause of all things and the sustainer of all things. And it is through the gospel, through the gospel that we find our ultimate purpose in him, that we see the example of God's mercy, the withholding of his wrath through his own sacrifice with the promise of eternal life for all who believe. But folks, there is a continual need for God's grace and mercy to a fallen world for many reasons. But most of all, so that we can exercise grace and mercy on others, we must pray each and every day the gospel, to acknowledge his sovereign might, and to ask forgiveness for our sinful nature, and to give thanks for the exceedingly abundant mercies of God through the atonement of his Son. It is our ultimate purpose, ultimate purpose, to give glory to God alone for his grace and mercy. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you, May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Brandon Man and would like to continue listening, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode as we will proclaim the grace and mercy of God in all things and continue to bring you biblical truths each and every. Week. God bless you all. Next week on Brandon Man, we will discuss yet again another significant attribute of God, known as the love of God.